Look at the adjective. Play. Now is the franchise going to take the Viagra? Oh, going to put the butts in the seat. Hello there, wrestling fans, and welcome to episode number 82 of Because WCW, the podcast where the big boys play. My name is the Twisted Genius Genius, and I'm joined as ever by sports journalist Liam Happ. Hello to you, Liam. How are you doing? Hello and Merry Christmas. I can say that now because it is December and also, technically, in this godforsaken year, I think we should all be able to pull up our trees and start eating mince pies whenever we like. I've got diabetes, you idiot. Well, you can eat twice as many then. That is what it means, doesn't it? I think so, yeah. Yeah, let's find out, shall we, during the episode. Yeah. Um, I do want to say how bloody freezing it is, but then I immediately think about when um, we had our previous guest from Canada, Scott Keith, and he was talking about like how it gets to minus 27 and stuff in Saskatoon, and I'm now thinking I really shouldn't complain, but it, I still think it's freezing at the moment. He was exaggerating. Come off it. We're clearly cold in here. Everything is hard on us. So if there's one thing you can take away from this, listeners, is that Dean and I have it worse off than anyone else listening. I anyone at all. Anyone at all. Because it's like slightly cold and Dean can't eat mince pies. You know, we, we, we've clearly got it the hardest. Terrible. I mean, we've got it. We've got it worse than our seventeen listeners in parts unknown. I don't know, man. I mean, there, there is a bit of a civil unrest going on over there. It's, it's pretty tough. Yeah, it's, it's never been the same since the Ultimate Warrior died. Yeah, it's, it's a shame. It's a shame. But um, at least we've still got a couple of other listeners popping up in such um, amazing random stretches of America. Like, then we have two in Mississippi and. Hey, we've got one in Peru. That's my favourite. I did not know we had a Peruvian listener. Yeah, we've got one. There was over the last however many months we've had, we've had one listener in Peru. And sir or madam, if you are listening, we salute you and uh, we raise a roasted guinea pig in your honour. Sir, madam, or Paddington Bear, because you can't rule it out. This is true. You cannot rule out that Paddington Bear is listening to this shit. Um, if you are listening to this shit, or as Vince McMahon would say, it's such good shit, um, then thank you very much for taking the time and trouble to download this episode. Um, if, if you're new to this podcast, we have got 81 other episodes the first six of which do sound like we've recorded it in the toilet, but we got better at it from there. Um, wow. And uh, you can go, well, sort of. Um, <laughs> you, can, uh, you can go to becausewcw.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. And also give us a follow on uh, Twitter at becausewcw or facebook.com forward slash becausewcw. There's one more plug, of course. We got, we, we're, doing a, we're doing a double podcast week for our recording. I mean, the second one, we, we, we're going to have to edit it and put it out a little while later. But tell the good people what we've got coming up in the next few days, Liam. Yeah, well, we're doing a double recording week this week because 
mo most importantly, then, we want our Christmas holiday to eat those aforementioned phantom mince pies. Um, but we will be in advance sitting down with the one and only former two-time because WCW guest about to take home the match ball with first with his third appearance. I'm so excited. I can't pronounce things properly. Uh, Power Slam editor Finn Martin. He'll be back and he will specifically be joining us for what may well be becoming the uh, annual Christmas festive Q&A episode where we are going to make like Reddit and tell you guys to ask us anything. Uh, obviously, we prefer it with a with a some sort of a WCW tint. I did see a, a couple of questions already come in with a with a tenuous link, but we're accepting them. But honestly, we want to try and get in as many questions as possible. So if you just wanna you just wanna pitch something wrestling at us, we'll we'll find a way to name drop Joey Mags in there somehow and make it seem like <laughs> a WCW answer. So fire in your questions, and you can do so by tweeting us at BecauseWCW on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook, BecauseWCW. Give us a follow and put something in our, in our inbox or in our comments. And we have an email inbox as well. That is BecauseWCW at Yahoo.com. So that is on Thursday. If you are listening to this Tuesday or Wednesday... You still have time to give us a question. Please do. Because we like to talk to people. We're lonely. Yeah, very. We're very lonely people. Listen up, slap nuts. That's right. This is Jeff Jarrett, the chosen one. And you're listening to Because WCW. Now choke on that. Um, which is why today we are we are sitting down um however many miles apart we are simultaneously watching an episode of Monday Nitro. I wouldn't have um, it any other way, Dean. We wouldn't. We wouldn't. No, this is how we spend our Monday nights. But my goodness me, what an episode of Monday Nitro this is because the anticipation is in the air. We are we are at Scott Hall Eve. Mm. Uh, this is May 20th, 1996. And obviously you stick seven days on that to May 27th, 96. Most diehard wrestling fans, also known as those like sad enough to tune in to us, will know exactly what that date is. So, before the world that is World Championship Wrestling turns upside down, we've got one more episode in which we're expecting the, 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 the usual good and bad. You know, we've got Sting, Luger, Giant, Savage, Flair, usual host of characters. We'll probably get some of the, the mid-carders on as well, I'm guessing. And this will be after Slambury 96, so I'm guessing Ooh. Mongo, Bischoff and Heenan will run us down what happened at that show. Yeah, and also, um, one thing that you pointed out before we went on air is that this is this is a, a very long episode. I mean, given that Monday Nitro generally ran for an hour, including ad breaks, and that means that the uh, the actual edited version on the networks, minus the adverts, usually runs to about 45, 50 minutes. This one is an hour and 10. It's, it's almost like it's... it's just queuing us up for the two-hour nitros from next week. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering. Maybe they'll say on the show that it's a 90-minute episode because that does the math checks out a little there. Well, if you had adverts on this as well, you'd probably be looking at a 90-minute slot, wouldn't you? Yeah. So maybe yeah. it is. We'll find out soon enough. 
We will indeed. And uh, don't forget, you know, the Macho Man is still probably going to be lurking around somewhere being crazy. So Yeah, um, but we'll... what's the deal with Sting and Luger? Yeah. Well, they're defending the tag titles, so we'll, we'll find out what the deal is yeah. in this very episode. So it is, as uh, as Liam said, May the 20th, 96 is the original broadcast date of this. It's the 36th Monday Nitro, and uh, we are all queued up on 000000. So um, are you ready, Liam? I am ready, and you love saying that now, don't you? That's become one of your catchphrases. He has. What a, what a catchphrase. You can imagine it being on T-shirts sold around just, the just world. Just loads of zeros. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of those Art Deco patterns, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we will press play in three, two, one. Play and cue burning buildings. It's getting toasty. The buildings are burning. Although I, I, might, I might have to ruin one of our pre-existing catchphrases here. I'm only now starting to come to the realisation that the buildings are not burning. Oh, now that right at the end, there's an explosion in a building, but the rest of them are just on the street. It's taken me 36 episodes to notice this. Oh, man. So I haven't noticed. But you know what I'm going to do every episode? I'm still going to start with burning buildings. Q burning buildings. Q burning buildings. Uh, we must we must point out in the disclaimer that they are on the floor, on the street, and only one is in a building. And we are live as live can be. And they've immediately started talking about Slamboree. And where's Mongo? Oh, my God. He's he, he slaughtered the dog, hasn't he? Oh, God. He did say he had a plan last week. Well, Bischoff, who is wearing a black T-shirt and a... um denim waistcoat in some sort of midlife crisis. Oh. Ah, so M- Mongo and Kevin Green are in serious training to take on Flair and Anderson, which will be at the next pay-per-view. Oh, this here we go. This is at the, the uh, pay-per-view. Ah. So this is obviously the build-up from Flair flirting with Deborah McMichael the whole time. Yeah, and um, there's woman behind Ric Flair trying to figure out how she can break the rules and cheat in an interview segment. It's not easy. And flirt, and flirt with uh, Mean Gene. So Kevin Green, from what they're saying, I believe was a was a an active NFL player. Yeah, Carolina Panthers. Yes. Right, and there's indie wrestler security. So obviously they're looking for the big celebrity crossover here, yeah. and we, we, knowing what we know with that tag match at the Great American Bash, um, you know it's it probably at the high end of non-wrestler efforts, wasn't it? It wasn't Ooh. terrible, from what I remember. Yeah, I mean, I've not seen um, the war games from last night with Pat McAfee yet, but yeah, I've heard good. You know, he's he's been doing very well. Yeah, it was a good match. I've I've got to be honest, I, I struggled with most of that show. Uh, nothing was terrible, but not if if you haven't watched it and you're going to go and check it out on demand, you'd probably lose nothing from just skipping straight to the main event. The mileages will vary. I suppose some people might be a little more into the storylines, but for me, it was pretty lacking, you know? 
yeah. and obviously one of the things about having two War Games matches, and we saw this last year as well, one ends up being the equivalent of kids on the playground picking up teams and then going over the match, rather than an actual ultimate team grudge. Mm which at least the Undisputed Era and McAfee's boys had. That was a that was yeah. an actual storyline. Hopefully next year it's the women who get a proper war game storyline. Because I think yes. they've been given the short end of the stick two years running. Okay, so we've got Fire and Ice, Scott Norton and Ice Train. And, well, one is significantly more experienced than the other. But more importantly, they're two huge muscle heads who are now about to get suplexed around by the Steiners. So that should at least be very entertaining. Apparently, um, the macho man is banned from the building but has been spotted in the area. <laughs> Scott Stein is getting angry with his jacket at this point. He's struggling to take it off. Yeah. I honestly don't think he will smile again until never. Never, no. Was was there ever a recorded instance of Scott Steiner cracking a smile post-1996? Um, I think when he was trying to publicise his restaurant earlier this year, which he's now sold. Yeah, he had to jump out of that, didn't he? Which is a shame. It's a shame for everyone, really. This is what 2020 has laid in front of us, isn't it? Yeah. Now, am I feeling? Am I the only one here who's feeling sorry for Ice Train? Because he's probably going to have the absolutely ever-loving snot kicked out of him. Yeah, as the rookie of the opposing team against the Steiners, he's gonna he's gonna be the designated Izuka, isn't he? Yeah, I mean he's not a rookie. He's been around for a for a while. I mean, who can forget the legendary opening match at Halloween Havoc '93 that we've we've waxed lyrical about? Pass. But... That was something else. That was incredible. One of my favourite matches of all time for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> uh, if you can't beat them, join them. You might as well find a reason to enjoy it. Even if it's like getting dental work. <laughs> okay, so we've had dueling hip tosses so far. And a big clothesline from Scott. It's a hell of a singlet on Ice Train as well. This is this is an amazing singlet showcase. This match. Look at look at this. <laughs> it, it is, is a four man fashion show. Rick Steiner still wearing uh, odd boots as he he did for decades. That was his thing, wasn't it? Yeah, he was a. Uh, he was, uh, early on, around 89-90 NWA WCW, he was the closest we had to Eugene before we actually mm. got Eugene. Uh, it sounds like an exaggeration, but really, that that was always the undertone, wasn't it? That was the implication of that storyline. Yeah. So, um, what I, I don't know if you noticed, but Scott Steiner, he popped his hips and he belly-to-belly suplex ice train to a big pop. And then he turned to the crowd and did the most half-hearted salute to the crowd I've ever seen. He really doesn't want to be a babyface. His whole demeanour throughout this run is to be a fly on the wall, eh? Mm. So you can tell Norton's in the ring because the Steiners are now selling. (laughs) Yeah. 
former IWGP champion. I don't think at this point necessarily, but yeah, he uh, always did. We've said before, he always um, fared much better in Japan than the US. See, whenever I think of Scott Norton now, all I can think of, well, I can think of two things. One is one of my close friends who knows every uh, monologue from the Thunder video game, being able to do the uh, Scott Norton monologue from that. And he does it even in his mid-30s, sadly enough. And the second thing, <laughs> the second thing, and most importantly, is the story about him when WCW toured North Korea that time. Oh, God, yes. Apparently, that's going to be one of the episodes of Dark Side of the Ring, the, the fourth series. Oh, well, it'd or be third, rude not third to. series, rather. Because it is, it is utterly fascinating stuff. And as it turns out, thanks to some amazing WCW-based resources now, uh, we, we have enough information. At our disposal. I'm just thinking, so that was that that was a pay per view, wasn't it? Collision in Korea. Maybe. Obviously, I was I was a bit young, and we would have never had access to it as Brits to know what the what the exact nature of that market was. But I'm guessing they made Americans pay for it. No, I'm just thinking we could we could review that. I mean, we as long as we can watch it, we can review it whether it's a pay-per-view or not, really. Mm. One day, we're going to review it. I swear on, on YouTube or somewhere, there's a show WCW put together at a ski resort. <laughs> there's, really? there's Millennium Final from Germany, which was right before they died. You know, when the company's yep. losing 60 million, they're about to put in the market and they toured Germany, England and Australia. Mm-hmm. Fantastic stuff. Shouldn't complain. We've got an extra nitro out of it. Oh, yeah. I remember that show well. Yeah, November 2000. It was um, the time of the presidential election. The the pay-per-view in Germany, I want to reassure our listeners, lasted considerably less time than the presidential election. (laughs) All big double clothesline. Ice Train and Rick Steiner in the ring now. It's been all right, this match. No, no. No real uh, narrative to it. No real story. It is, no. as, as we predicted, it's four big dudes beating the tire of each other. And even yeah. Ice Train is getting some offense. Ooh. So we've got... Oh, I was just going to say we've got Scott Norton and Scott Steiner in the ring, but they've just spilled to the outside themselves. This is going to be the... Uh, well, this this looks like Scott Norton's doing a, a Steiner on Steiner. Oh no, he's not a shoulder breaker. I thought he was going to run. I thought he was going to run him upside down into the uh, corner post. There's the bell because if you see wrestlers brawling on the outside and the referees actually doing a proper count, you can guarantee that it's going to be a count out. Oh, he just German suplexed Scott Norton on the floor. That looked that looked particularly nasty. I have to say. Well, I'll tell you what, presuming this is the act one to a feud, that was pretty good. You know, as, as we said earlier, the uh, the action was okay. And if they're doing this sort of finish and there's an animosity between the two sides, you, surely they're going to run it back. So that's one way to set up a program. And we have got Eddie Guerrero and Ric Flair up next. So, will so, Flair be as entertaining as he's been the last few weeks? He's been absolutely on fire, hasn't he? 
Now, wasn't wasn't this um, wasn't Slambury, Flair, and Savage against Anderson Eddie Guerrero? And Guerrero yeah. And yeah, that's so it. there'll be a bit of afters from that, I'm presuming, because from what I remember of Slambury, Guerrero did his best to uh, to wrestle honourably, while Anderson was sabotaging his partner as long as Flair got the win, because obviously in the in the Horseman mantra, Flair trumps everyone else. Yes, so he, even yes. though it's Flair and Savage and they want to hurt Savage, they also want Flair and Savage to advance. So it was a it was a clusterfuck. Do you know, I've just thought of something. They're talking about the fact that Steve McMichael isn't commentating because he's going to be wrestling. And of course, after this match he has at the pay-per-view, he he turns against Kevin Green and joins the Horsemen, doesn't he? Yes, so, we, we may have seen the last of Mango. Exactly. That's and that what I'm fucking thinking. dog. That, yeah, I think we have seen the that that last episode we did last week was Stephen Michael's last run in the commentary booth. Momentous stuff, but even more monumental, Dean. I have a big update for you on this week's Nitro. The banquet table is up and running. There is a banquet yes. table once again at ringside for Ric Flair. And, uh... That and other Elizabeth woman who's there. Leather. Oh, she's in leather, so she'll we'll recognise her. Yep, fair enough. And woman who is already in, envisioning how she's going to undo that turnbuckle. And she's yep. halfway down the aisle. Uh, well, as you said, Flair has been absolutely on fire these last few weeks. So hopefully he'll still be on top form tonight. Do you, do you ever get the feeling, Dean, that the first half of 1996 kind of gets buried in Ric Flair's all-time run? Obviously, you had the the tremendous in-ring 80s, and people really remember that that brief WWF run fondly in the early 90s, and he's had big matches and stuff. But this was we're, now that we're rewatching the week after week, he's been. On the button in the ring, even if the match itself has made little sense or whatever, even if he's been jobbing to Hulk Hogan for the 10,000th time, he's been on song. Promo-wise, he's been entertaining. Character work has been entertaining. Working with woman brings out the best with him. Elizabeth is there as well. (laughs) he He is taunting the macho man. Do you know what? You're absolutely spot on. Flair has been on top of his game here. But I think the reason that people don't talk much about the first half of 96, the pre-NWO 96, is because while the work that Flair did was good, the, the actual story, the booking, was nothing memorable. This, you know, we've, we've said before, WCW was really in a kind of a holding pattern at this point in time. Um, and, you know, the best thing that they could have had happen was the arrival of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash to shake things up and get some new main events in the mix. That's true to an extent, but I suppose you ask yourself, who who is the uh, who is the better footballer any given season? Is it the player who drags the worst side in the league up out of the relegation zone into mid-table, or is it the midfielder at the heart of the championship winners? Because there's an argument for either. And obviously this is the flair that he's, that he's using hit the top of his game to keep this transitional phase of WCW ticking over. And remember, especially those who've read Guyvan's book, 
um, and Bischoff has corroborated this. Everyone who contributes to the book says the same. That period from early Nitro through to the New World Order might not have been the absolute best or the coolest, but it was the most important. That they got through it okay as solid was what led to what came afterwards. So, envy, yeah, and it was, yeah, and it was also building up the importance of Nitro because, as we've mentioned previously, you know, this is the point right now, or, or when, or next week when Nitro goes to two hours and all of this happens. Next week marks the occasion where Nitro becomes WCW's A show for weekly television. It, it, it surpasses Saturday night. Which is good, because we won't, hopefully we won't be showing up to these watch-alongs anymore, being told about this big thing that happened on another show. <laughs> yeah. Because they don't even offer clips of Saturday night, do they? They just mention it in passing. Mm. Great American Bash 96, I do remember that show. I seem to remember it was a pretty good show, actually, but... Uh... That's where Bischoff got powerbombed off the stage by Hall yep. and Nash, wasn't it? Sting and Regal. Luger and the Giant running it back on a on a pay-per-view level after all those uh, non-matches we've had concurrent weeks here on Nitro, in, up to and including last week's watch along we did. Um, yeah, we haven't um, we haven't reviewed this one that one yet. So you know, maybe if we can get hold of someone who's happy to do that, we could do another one of our uh, chronological order pay-per-view reviews who knows it'll be good to do one that isn't quite as uh frustrating i think is the best word that starcade 95 was because yeah. that should have been a good show and if you go back and listen to us we we break down exactly why it was quite bad at times and there's worse pay-per-views don't get me wrong but starcade 95 should have been so much more so hopefully this will be better Okay, we're a few minutes into this match, and Eddie Guerrero is holding his own against Ric Flair, and he's fired up. We have got the uh, wily old veteran against the enthusiastic youngster. He's been working the headlock. He's, we've just seen his temper flare up as Flair plays his dirty tricks to get out of being under the cosh, which he has been early on. Good, good storytelling here with the with the younger, more enthusiastic babyface. Giving Flair something to think about in the technical wrestling stakes. Obviously, Guerrero's prowess wasn't quite as well known on the world stage at this point. People would soon find out just how good he was, of course. By the end of 97, there was no denying it, was there? Yeah. And, you know, it's you've also got to give credit to Flair because of the amount of offense he is giving Guerrero and the amount of what I would call serious selling. This isn't, you know, slipping on a banana skin selling that you get from, from other superstars. This is making Guerrero look a million dollars as Flair heads to his uh, banquet table and gets a chair. If I ever become a wrestler, Dean, I'm going to insist on having my own banquet table at ringside. <laughs> But, you know, look, what this is showing is that Flair is getting frustrated at the fact that he cannot get the better of Guerrero at this stage of the match and is therefore thinking of, you know, resorting to 
to underhanded tactics. And Joe, the best is... part is then uh, they've had a good feeling that process. You know, they've run the ropes, they've they've burned a little bit of energy, but not everything. But now they're having a little breather from that stage of the match. And all, all the while, the fans are engaged. He's arguing with them. His shenanigans is obviously getting the fans to chant Eddie as they are right now. And they've they've not actually done anything with each other or burned no. any cardio for the last two, two and a half minutes. Absolutely. And this is so important. This is what so many people miss these days. I, I think it was Jake Roberts said a few weeks ago, people remember moves for a moment, but they remember emotions much longer. They remember how you made them feel. And, you know, Flair is getting an amazing reaction by, as you say, doing very little physically. It's, it's career longevity. Yeah. Obviously, you don't want to see a match comprised of nothing but stalling, but these guys went in, did a good bit of basic building up of that narrative, uh, and it gave them the credit to be able to have that stall where Flair was get, as you said, was getting frustrated with those early stages. Yeah, but what they've done now is they've actually, from from that stalling, they have listened to this crowd. They have built this crowd up. Now we go back to the wrestling, just a regular old tie-up in the corner, and the crowd are go are absolutely on their feet for it. This is, you know, this is an absolute masterclass. Credit to Bischoff as well, who really put emphasis on Guerrero giving Flair some of his own chops. That matters when you when you hear the announcer getting infused, especially when they do spend half of their time, for better or worse, you know, bringing in other ongoing storylines and plugging advertising. They've got so many other things announcers they have to do. But when when an announcer pops like that, like the way Bischoff yeah. did for the chops. Now let, let's see what's happening now because when we went to the break, Flair had just gained the advantage by sticking his thumb in Guerrero's eye, and yep, he's. That well, doesn't like sound like a, him at all. Not at all, no. It looks like we've been in a rest hold during the ad break, which makes sense. Guerrero now fighting back. Let's see where we go from here. I, I cannot confirm nor deny rumours that woman during the advert break acquired a toolbox, some banana skins, and a, a large crate from Acme. I cannot confirm or deny that. <laughs> uh, including a giant elastic band. And one of those tunnels that the road runner can go through, but Wiley Coyote cannot. Yeah. Guerrero finally gets Flair over on the sunset flip by pulling down on his trunks. Yeah. See, when when Flair agrees to sell big for his opponents, it, it's on it's on the basis that he gets to show his ass. That's that's the quick pro pro. <laughs> And, and Heenan on commentary says it's been 50-50. I'd say it's been more 75-25 to Guerrero. but Which is why that's a great line from pro-Flair Heenan. Yeah. He's kind of having to concede it, but even then you put a bit of that heel spin on it and you don't give them all the credit. You just give them some because you kind of, you've got a gun to your head, so to speak. So... Dean, this has been a very slow pace, but I cannot emphasize enough just how, you know, when you hear a wrestling match at a slow pace, you think bad, but this has been great. Ooh. Yeah, this has, um, 
this is just a slow burner, a slow build, and I'm intrigued as to where this match goes. This has this has got my complete attention. I want to know what happens. They they are making the most of every minute, every second, every move, every every footstep, which is which is great. I'm well aware that Flair and Guerrero had, I think they had one or two more high-profile matches in this. I feel like they clashed at least once on pay-per-view. And the general consensus of their more well-known matches was they di- they just didn't click as much as Flair and Guerrero can perform, as we know them as individuals. But so far on this TV match, that uh, no one's going to be able to just bring up off the top of their head. Uh, yeah, it's been great stuff. And the crowd are reacting to that because the way that Guerrero has been in this match, the way that Flair has been selling, people believe that Guerrero can win. He's now doing an, an underrated favourite of mine where Flair's been on top, but instead of doing a superhuman comeback, Guerrero's countering everything with cradles. That is presumably going to lead to a frustrated Flair walking into something bigger down the line. But not now, because he's hit the big suplex. And they're both down now, which gives the crowd a moment to just catch their own breath and gather their thoughts. Now you can hear in the background woman screaming at Flair and Elizabeth is also there. Flair now looks like he's going for the figure four. Guerrero with another cradle. So it goes back to what you were saying, Liam. He's going, Guerrero going for those quick cradles, trying to snatch the win. It's a good story they're telling. With clearly defined roles, because, you know, everyone knows Flair's deal. And here's Guerrero with a figure four. Meanwhile, we've we've said on these watch-alongs, Guerrero's been almost an ever-present. He's been one of the most Ooh. featured undercard wrestlers. So they know these two's deal. It's a, it's a natural match here. Flair's got to the ropes. The crowd didn't pop for the figure four as much as I thought they would, I have to say. Guerrero going up top, but he misses. Misses crashes into the guardrail and is now holding his knee, and that could spell the beginning of the end. Oh, a flare opponent. I feel like we said this in previous weeks, but a flare opponent has has favoured their knee at the worst time. Vertical suplex on the outside. It was um, VK Wall Street last week, wasn't it? Yeah, I I feel like it was very recent, and you're spot on. He either injured his knee or that really horrific wrestling apparel he was wearing. Do you remember that? <laughs> oh, gosh, that was bad. So back in the ring now. It doesn't look like that because sometimes you see Flair's opponent hurt the knee and then that's it. Figure four, we're, we're out of here. But he's he's stalking him. But Guerrero is now very much a wounded animal. And this match is this match has now completely changed. This is now 
flare hunting down these prey almost. Woman hasn't cheated once. I hope she's okay down there. She, um, yeah, she, she looks like she desperately wants to get involved. Slight twitch on the left hand. Yep. Flair gets a two count with a delayed vertical suplex. There's been Bischoff a... putting over Guerrero on commentary. Yeah, there's, there's been a lot of repeated where, where when he hits a move, goes for the cover, gets two, and he goes for the cover again. You a fan of that, Dean? It doesn't really make sense to me in that if the guy's kicked out, then, you know, if it, in a real confrontation, if they've just kicked out, they wouldn't get pinned again. But uh, I think, you know, it, it can emphasize the disbelief that they've kicked out. Yeah, I think Steve Austin was always one of the best at using that to put over how desperate he was at times. Especially during that underrated 2001 run he had. And I was just going to say that's interesting that Guerrero hit a cross-body block on Flair but didn't make the cover because he was too busy clutching his knee. He's just hit a drop kick. He's... I don't know if he's selling that, but he may have forgotten about that knee injury there. Which is a shame. No, no, he's hobbling on it. <laughs> Heenan just a- accidentally referred to uh, Flair as having a big beak when it got drop kicked. <laughs> yeah. So Guerrero got a brief moment of offense and Flair's back back on top now. Did we ever keep a record of what the longest match on Nitro so far is? Because this one could give it a run. I'm trying to remember. I, I'm trying to remember what it was. But I, I, I think you're absolutely right. This could give it a run. It was quite. Oh. It was reasonably early on. 96 Flair taking the Tornado DDT. Wow. And Heenan apoplectic at the commentary booth there. Rightly selling it as like a, a state-of-the-art devastating move. And in the 90s, Toronto DT definitely still had that sort of uh, ability. Oh, beautiful. Guerrero walks the rope, the middle of the, walks the middle of the top rope into a head scissors. And again, favouring that knee still. Did you see how uncomfortable Flair was taking that rope walk, Rana? He was still yes. holding on to the middle rope himself just to make sure he went over safely. Frog splash, he's got it. Oh, yes. He's selling the knee again. Nice. Flair, Flair is, for all intents and purposes, there for the taking in the middle of the ring. Yeah. And he's just trying to do a kip up. Flair's grabbing the legs, the ankles of Guerrero. That's Flair who's up first. After failing to kip up, that was funny. And that could be... Oh, he's blocked it. Guerrero's blocked it like Arn Anderson did at Fulbrook. Oh, it's on. No, he only blocked it for a moment. And Flair has got Guerrero in the middle of the ring. It could be all she wrote, Dean. 
He's punching him in the knee as well. How would you make the figure four worse? There she goes. There you are, woman. There's a woman cheating. And Flair actually pinned him with the figure four leg lock. Woman with the assist just to get that extra leverage, which has always been a little bit physics defining wrestling. But, you know, you hold on someone's hand or the ropes or a pair of trunks and no one can get out of that. No, and I just saw Mean Gene walking down the aisle there. I wonder if he's going to be uh, interviewing Flair next. Well, he's he's going over to Woman, and Flair happens to be there. And I think there was a third person in that group. Can you remember who it was? Well, the name eludes me for the moment. <laughs> that was 19 minutes and 49 seconds. I don't think we've had a match go longer than that. I really don't. And that was fantastic wrestling as well. Yeah, I don't think we've had a match go 20 minutes. Best match on Nitro since September 95 so far? It was a a very, very good match. I I mean, the the first 10 minutes especially, I I think just how to build a crowd up. There's not many that will give it a run for its money, are there? Here's Mean Gene and Woman is right next to him. Woman always knows how to position herself when Mean Gene's about. Oh, absolutely. So here, name dropping Randy Savage. Says he's in the building somewhere. <laughs> it's not the biggest building that they're in. Mean Gene says that these people know that he's here as well. So the first thing Rick does is he, is he threatens to go into the crowd and attack them. <laughs> he's now kissing Elizabeth's hand. And of course, we'll... <laughs> he's teaching his wife a new way of life. As a waiter gives woman another can, another can, another glass of champagne. Oh, can you imagine woman on the tins? <laughs> See, uh. Woman's wandering fingers. Yep. <laughs> there you go. Now she's rubbing Mean Jean's chin. Hey, Flair just said Steve McMichael's wife, Deborah, has been following him around like she, she he, he owes her money. <laughs> <laughs> like in a complete contradiction to everything we've seen on TV. Yes. So now it's the hard sell for this big attraction tag match. It's already set up yeah. for the bash. Uh, and they think they can cross-train football and wrestling like he cross-trains the girls. <laughs> it was a different time, Liam. Do you know what? We don't even have to disclaim it. He's just so good on the mic, he can say what he likes. He's a heel. <laughs> But he, he is a glorious douchebag at this at this point. So 
So I think I th- June I, the 16th, Great American Bash. A, another comparison to make. We talked about his, his in-ring peaks uh, and other things. Here's here's a comparison about how this this era gets like underappreciated. When you see these compilations of great flair sound bites, the prevailing image on those on those mixtures is Flair wearing a suit and those aviators from the 80s on mm. the old set with Tony Schiavone. Do you remember like the sky blue set yeah. of the yeah. 80s? Most of the quotes were from there, and yet some of this stuff is better than it. And that was good stuff in the 80s, don't get me wrong. But <laughs> he's just, just brilliant here. I'm sorry, I've just got to mention the great visual. We've come back from the break, and Flair is in the commentary booth in what was Mongo's old seat with the plates full of treats as mean gene called them plates of fruit and and whatever else there a candelabra that bobby heenan is currently trying to light uh he's wearing his robe with the headsets and woman and elizabeth standing behind him either side over each shoulder well i mean there there right there is our is our screenshot for uh for this episode on the website i think yeah but what hang a, on just a second image. i agree but i have to cut in with an important update uh heenan asked elizabeth for a glass of that champagne and she passed it over elizabeth has done something well done elizabeth she has served the function and we've now got a world tag team title match. The Faces of Fear, Meng and Barbarian, are challenging Sting and Lex Luger, the tag champs. And you know, Liam, this prompts a question to me. What is the deal with Meng and the Barbarian? I mean, what Absolutely. is the deal? With... <laughs> Can you imagine trying to run a storyline where these two aren't getting along? They have had matches. Yeah, well, I'm that sure is it. That, that's the storyline. Um, they had the match at uh, Rhodes Wild, didn't they? That is the storyline. They go from tag teaming to just beating the piss out of each other with not a word said, and then the next week they're teaming. That is your storyline. That is the deal with Sting, with Men and the Barbarian. Hey, it's like brothers, you know. Here's Luger with his two title belts. He's still the world tag champion as well and the world TV champion. And a desperate attempt to one-up Sting on the, on the pose on the old. Did you see that reaction? Yep. He's kind of showing a little bit. I mean, the last few weeks, the closest we've had to a bit of an edge has been comedic babyface more so than uh, wolf in sheep clothing that he used to be, isn't it? But uh, last week he got put through a table by the giant. He was challenging the giant for the world title. He camped outside the arena to make sure he didn't miss it. And then yeah, he got put through a table and there was a there was a DQ finish. Apparently, rumor has it he made an additional five pound sixty seven outside the building. Excellent. Why people were paying him in uh, pounds sterling, I don't know. Yeah, I kind of ruined that joke, didn't I? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking exchange rate. But it's worth saying, he he wasn't just put through a table, Dean. He was put through the banquet table. The banquet I'm table. I'm surprised Flair's managed to keep his composure this week after what went down. 
that replacement banquet table must have set him back a pretty penny, or sorry, a pretty cent. So we're starting out with Luger against Meng. Now this is going to be an interesting one to watch because my thinking is nobody in this arena thinks that we're going to have a tag title change tonight. Would you agree? Potentially, but then I suppose there's always the the omnipresent possibility of some sort of storyline development in, in what has been a six-month on-and-off, but entertaining when it's on storyline with Stina yeah. Luger. And you have like the, uh, the, the, the shenanigans that furthers their story while costing them the tag titles, which... Let's be honest, it's cool that they were tag champions together once, but they don't need the belts. I think they did. Didn't Meng and Barbarian hold the tag belts at one point? Law of Averages says they did, because I think yeah. everyone got a turn at one point. Uh... Very true. Flair, right before they went to an advert break, said, Debbie does the nature, boy. <laughs> I, d- I don't think that is prop champagne. I don't think it's fizzy water with a little bit of colouring in. I think that's the real deal, Dean. It wouldn't surprise me. And I think they may have tested it a few times before the show. <laughs> Oh, man, he's been fantastic as ever. Three weeks on a row, in a row, Flair absolutely on his A-game. A-game, A-game, Bantz and shithousery. I, I think Bantz was, was invented by Ric Flair. So, uh, Meng has got a uh, Boston Crab on Sting. And the faces of fear have pretty much been in charge during this match. But the crowd aren't really reacting too much at this point. Hmm. So, I couldn't help but look while watching this. But I'm not sure if... No, Ming and the Barbarian were never WCW Tag Team Champions. Oh, really? Daylight robbery. Because yeah. I know uh, Barbarian was one half of the last ever US Tag Team Champions with Dick Slater. What a, what team, a team. And obviously, uh, Meng was the last WCW Hardcore Champion. Yes, that was a thing. Oh, yes. Very true. That was a nice double team move between the the challengers there. So atomic drop by Meng followed by the Barbarian's big boot while he still had him held in that drop position. Very nice. So, uh... Yeah, just looking. So um, Barbarian never held any titles in WCW. Or WWF for that matter. Poor bloke. Oh, wow. 
That was a belly-to-belly superplex on Sting by Barbarian. He let go of him halfway wow. through. That was a bit of a wild flyer. And that seems to have woken the crowd up a bit. I mean, let's face it, if you're going to put your life in the hands of anyone, these two guys are probably safe as houses. Yeah, it's something we always cover, isn't it? When when they're on our screens. And case in point, one thing we did discuss at length was uh, there was a flying splash from fling from one from Meng from one corner and Barbarian came off the opposite turnbuckle with a headbutt. And again that was where they, they perform much safer versions in what you see knacker out people's knees and obviously with the headbutt it causes even more serious problems. Mm. But this is looking at the moment as your classic match of the heels are in charge for the whole match and the baby faces will come back and win at the end. One could almost call it the Macho Man formula. A little bit, yeah. And, and commentators have referred to the events of Slamboree where there seemed to be a little bit of extracurricular try and cast doubt over Luger. But I think it's definitely fair to say with, with, the, with that storyline ending very soon, and have been kind of half-arsing it for a little while, it's hard to even take that into any tension in this match. They are working this like they've they've been on the same page from the beginning. Even Bischoff now saying that Luger's proved himself time and time again. <laughs> Flip. Flair wants Greenham at Michael to have a, a warm-up match with the faces of fear. <laughs> that Flair, he's always thinking. Always thinking. It's almost, this is a world tag title match, but it's almost like it's a backdrop for just Flair's bants. It's, I mean, we might as well just rename Earth Planet Flair and be done with it. Hot tag, Luger. Finally, he's in. Second attempt at Sting to make that flying tag. Oh, my God. He nearly dropped Barbarian on his head by mistake. Manages to get Meng over. (laughs) That was scary. Yep. So, So, yeah, this... You know, I, I agree with you about this match so far. Nothing's been terrible. It's been, it's been nothing to write home about either, has it? I think that's spot on. Nothing bad, nothing exceptionally good. So, yeah. A Nitro so far, especially in the one-hour format, which is soon to go bye-bye, or you could say it has already gone because this is quite a long show, uh, they were quite good at making matches run about as long as they were supposed to. But now they're starting to get a bit more time. And not all of them need that time. Flying splash from the stinger. Luger's legal. Good sting very nicely. Rolls over to the corner to uh, stop Meng from making the save. And allows Luger to get the the pinfall. And the 
And it looks like the deal between Luger and Sting is that they're on the same page. Yeah, yeah. and do you know what I liked about that from Sting? is He's hit the big splash, illegal man Luger with a cover, and yeah, he's rolled to... Uh, to, to Ming, but he didn't do it in your typical way where the other guy will go and attack the fourth person to protect the, the cover. He is, you know, he's still selling the splash and he's lightning rodded himself. Basically f- rolled his carcass while he's still recovering at Meng and Meng is like beating on him instinctively because his opponent is nearby. Yes. Sting so is quite cool. Sting is, is just there and Meng is like, will you get the fuck out of the way? Yeah, he's like, well, he, he you know has to fight his opponent, but Sting is going to take a few clubs to the back there because, oh, here's the Macho Man and look at those yeah, pink hold tassels. Everything, the Macho Man is in the, well, he's outside the building, and apparently he might not be all there. He might be a little crazy. I, I had heard this. He just kicked a shutter. It's okay. Doug Dellinger's out here. And just to establish, he is there in his gear without the ring coat. Wearing the hat, though, obviously. And he's talking about not being able to get into the building because he's banned. So just put this in your head. He has driven to the arena in that gear. Well, he's, he's not all there, is he? With that oil on his biceps. Yep. Love it. Love the 90s. (laughs) <laughs> me and G says I heard that you might not be able to wrestle in WCW and he says well I say that I am going to wrestle well that's alright then yeah, that, that solves that this is some intellectual summit well, we've got to be careful what they do with his future you're kind of just covering the same ground as the last couple of weeks they had one yep. in the arena, didn't they, with the uh, with, with the guy oh, playing? Oh, yeah. yeah. Then he went Looney Tunes on Hugh Morris, so now he's out of the building. He's accusing Mean Gene of being in on it. These are the the actions of a crazy man, though. Yeah. Uh, I, I I just wish they'd be a bit less subtle about it, you know. Savage so trying to get into the building, but these five men are holding him back. And Flair is loving it. Yeah. Uh, up next is DDP, who has now suddenly become like a, a player, so to speak, because he won Battle Bowl which infamously was supposed to get him a world title shot that never came because by the time he did challenge for world titles, he earned them in completely different matches in completely different situations. It would have been funny if he, like, Eddie Dennis in progress style, like, just came out of the blue a year after and said, I've still got that title shot, give him my match. (laughs) Now, here's an underrated entrance theme in WCW. Brad Armstrong, and by proxy, all the Armstrong boys use this walkout. Well, Brad Armstrong, just one of one of the great underrated talents from from for my liking. One of my one of my all-time favourites. He's just so versatile. I mean, 
Think about the number of gimmicks that the guy played in WCW. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've never disliked Brad Armstrong. Always enjoyed what I've seen of him. But he's definitely a guy where guys like you, Dean, and, and people who, who, who you know, have been behind the scenes and been part of the whole industry, you're, you're the guys who especially notice what he does that other guys cannot. Is that fair to say? Yeah. A wrestler's wrestler. Yes. So Flair's putting Paige over for winning Battle Bowl. It's worth Ooh. pointing out that that was a competition that Flair Savage were all part of. So they're talking about the benefactor because he lost his job and all his money, didn't he? And he was destitute yep. and all that. And speaking about the benefactor that's got him back and he's now in winning ways. Did they ever pay that off? I don't remember. I don't think they did. I don't remember. I mean, I don't remember anything sticking in my mind. So I, I, I quite possibly not. Because unless it was already implied or something else was already implied, do you know what makes the most sense as great storytelling? would be if his benefactor was Ted DiBiase. Mm. Because, obviously, the Ted DiBiase character in both promotions had money. And soon we'll get to a point where he he is the financial backer of the New World Order invasion until they get to a point with Bischoff where they, where they are, you know, they run the show, so they don't need that anymore. DiBiase was the backer of their invasion and all those propaganda promos they did. Indeed he was, yeah. And then obviously they got to a point where Horn Nash were trying to actively court him because they go way back. So you could easily have done a thing where you say, you know, Horn Nash, while they're plotting this invasion that doesn't actually start next week, but as they're plotting it, they're like, look, throw a bit of money his way. We want him part of this. All makes sense, absolutely. You could have done that, really, couldn't you? So I, I like, I do like in-depth storytelling like that. I know that's not what brings the majority of people into arenas, but I like to think there's always a place for good, detailed storytelling. I mean, you think yes. of the shows that perform best on Netflix, and there's some fantastic storytelling, character development there, and it's no coincidence. Yeah, from, I've just had a quick look, by the way, and from what I can see, uh, the mystery benefactor was was a, a, ne- a storyline that was never paid off until Which... a couple of years later when he bought a Humvee. <laughs> yes, I was going to say I mean, it's a very very unlike WCW to not pay off a storyline <clears> or, <throat> or to start a storyline with no idea where it should end. Yeah. I've always, always said when booking a wrestling storyline, start backwards. Well, you, you, so you, you book it backwards. You start start off by knowing what you want the payoff to be, where you want it to lead, and then you and then you go backwards from there, and you work out how to start. See, that's what I do with my little passion project of writing the the series of 
if Fusion had kept OCW going from yeah. 2001 onwards, which I've got on a Google Doc that we've advertised on because of OCW. And we run the series now on hookedonwrestling.co.uk, where you can yeah. keep up to date with the episodic of it. Uh, but to be brutally honest, while I do believe in that with some of my storylines, I also keep in a lot of stuff that really happened. Basically, keep keeping the real timeline and uh, leaving out all the garbage that happened from 2001 onwards. With some nice little original storylines of my own. I, I, I must add, it's a combination. I think they call it point stations of canon or points of canon. If you reimagine something, but you keep certain bits of it. It's, you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. My um, Paige really likes thrusting his hips as a taunt at the minute. He does. I've He's, noticed that. Takes great cardiovascular energy to be on top of a high-profile wrestling match on Nitro and also hump what I can only imagine is like a dozen imaginary women in the ring with these with these hip thrusts. And Brad Armstrong finally getting a bit of offense in. And to and to reinforce the fact that this really is Ric Flair's planet and we all just live in it. He not only did he put DDP over right at the start, but he's now really putting over Brad Armstrong as a, as a threat between the ropes. And now he's back to the juvenile humor. Mostly and at Brad- Savage's expense. I was just going to say, the way that uh, Brad Armstrong leapt over the top rope and leapt onto the top rope again was identical to uh, Arachnaman, if you remember him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Starcade 91. Oh, there we go. Diamond Cutter, pretty much out of nowhere, yeah. Well, that that is the early genesis of of that part of it. Uh, It really was Blink and You'll Miss It. And then I believe as he became more of a star, it became he could hit it from, he'd do it from like a shoulder lift to like a fireman carry, wouldn't he? Yeah. Off the turnbuckles. He'd reverse a backslide into it, got more creative. But yeah, early on, it would just be snap. And obviously in the long run, that pays off. That's a nice diamond car as well on the replay. Yeah, well, you know, again, Brad Armstrong, it will take that move perfectly and make it look, a million dollars. I needed that replay because I said it was blink and you'll miss it, Dino, and I can confirm that I did indeed blink. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting watching Paige on these watch-alongs because the next 12 months, he's going to be unrecognisable. Mm. Oh, Mean Gene in the ring there. <laughs> Page promo. Another hit thrust. Yep. So, uh, I love how he started his promo with a zip it snap ahead at Mean Gene. He's now listing everyone that was in the, the lethal lottery. How he beat them all. He's still got a lot of his old irritating buzzwords and catchphrases in his promo. He'd work yep. on that. Self-high-five. 
himself high five. I think that might be the first time he's uh, mentioned that. I think you're right. And he's now challenging the giant because he's meant to have a world title shot, as you say. And that, yeah. again, never materialised. That was the rhetoric of it, but I mean, they could have easily done that on a. I suppose the problem was is that Giant's very much an unstoppable heel, which begs the question: Why do why make Page a number one contender? <laughs> and then obviously yeah. it'll be New World Order property soon after. So it, there, there was never even a a timing for a um like a nitro match because it would have served it would have been pointless doing. Oh, we're we're now getting something. Something about the uh, slambery that one of his feet touched the floor. <laughs> oh. oh. He has had his world title shot rescinded. Oh. And it's gone to Luger instead. Okay, so maybe they did explain it away a little bit. In this one, they've said he won't get the shot of the Great American Bash. Lex Luger will. For reasons of his one of his feet touching the floor, but... Well, maybe it's different to the rules we're used to. Yeah, and also They're his feet were on the rope on a pin or so. It was all very... All very vague. Strange. So have they basically just said to us the stipulation of the entire pay-per-view is an old horseshit? Yeah, that apparently they can't reverse a decision. He's the Lord of the Ring. He's got that Battle Bowl ring, but he will not get a title shot at the Great American Bash. And he never did, unless he earned it somehow else. So, Giant and Arn Anderson is our main event. Yeah. And, and a great night for great banging. Music. Yes, it's been a great night for entrance music. We've had a bit of Eddie Guerrero's generic babyface banger. Now, 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 now. We've had uh, we've had a couple of others that escaped me right now, but I know I was crowing about them. Brad Armstrong, that's the one I was loving. And we had the and network version. Oh yes, Sullivan. Kevin Sullivan is coming out with Arn Anderson. I believe this is part of their on again, off again, 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 on again, off again storyline. But I would have thought that surely Kevin Sullivan was on side with the giant, or is that now is that now ended? Fuck knows. No idea. We're watching this every week and we have no idea what's going on. WCW, everyone. Even Flair, Arn's boss on commentary, seems surprised. Oh, now, Flair is saying that yeah. we may have pulled off the coup de grace of all time. So here comes a giant with Jimmy Hart. So I've got a funny feeling my head my head might hurt after this one. Oh, 
The belt does look good on a giant, though. Mm. So how long have we got there? We don't have long left of the show. This will no. not go uh, Flair Guerrero length. Nor should. Nor should it. Yeah, nor should Giant. Oh. We're seeing what Sullivan's going to say. Um. He's saying that Anderson has kept his word to him. He wants to make sure Anderson gets a fair chance. So... Sullivan wants to deliver a fair title match to Arn Anderson because the Horsemen have kept their word, which is obviously something that must have happened very recently because those two factions have been falling out and making up all year. Um, But apparently to do with the Pillman situation, which has now been replaced by the Benoit situation, Sullivan's going to make sure that Arn gets a fair championship match and even Jimmy Hart has acquiesced to that. So <laughs> we've started off with Arn Anderson trying to do a waist lock on Anderson. It's the Giants fed up facial expressions when when he's put in a waist lock by a man who, who can't even shift him one inch. So Giant is standing middle of the ring. Anson circling around him. That's the old uh, sticker move now from on. It's not getting him anywhere. No, Giant <laughs> is just not selling a thing. And I mean that in a good way. <laughs> oh, I'm just pointing to his head to show intelligence. That's going to backfire. And uh oh, big slam from the top floor all the way down. So on paper, it might seem like an odd choice for a world title match for a Nitro main event, but if you need someone to to make the giant look just absolutely unstoppable, and obviously they've run the Ric Flair match a few times on Nitro already, so they can't keep doing that. But Arn's right up there. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And they can save, I suppose, the stings and lugers for the pay-per-view, the real yeah. threats. Well, right Luger now, we uh, yeah. getting the title shot on the pay-per-view yep. because I, I guess he he didn't lose to the giant. He was yeah, there was that DQ last time, so there's still the intrigue there. And Arn's going to show us exactly what Luger's got to face, as if he hasn't yeah. remembered enough already when he went through the banquet table. Big back body drop. Poor old Arn is taking some bumps here. So uh, Hart and Sullivan are kind of swapping looks and they stood next to each other now. It's an intriguing situation in, in the latest wrinkle in a never-ending story. <laughs> <laughs> 
did the Dungeon of Doom still exist much longer after the NWO reformed? For a little bit, for sure. Uh, they were they were the subject of of beatdowns of New World Order at least in those first few months. You'll remember that the Dungeon of Doom and the Horsemen were very much back to being at each other's throats just before the infamous hostile takeover match at Bash of the Beach. We we were praiseful of that match in that episode as well. If you guys go back, listen to us with special guest Rob McNichol hooked on wrestling. We do an epic look back at Bash of the Beach 96 and it's Benoit Anderson against Sullivan and the Giant in the... Yeah. And out of nowhere. Anderson had got Giant down to one knee, but Giant then got back up to a vertical base, choke slammed on Anderson out of nowhere, as you say, and wins the match in about three or four minutes. So it's hard to see what the purpose of that Sullivan aside although now Sullivan's coming into the ring so maybe it'll make more sense now they said that Flair is making his way down as well I think uh oh it was a very brief cameo from the macho man I'm hoping that they filmed that somewhere else and didn't bring him all the way to Monroe, Louisiana to film just that. But this is WCW, so I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah, they, they usually had the entire roster backstage for these things, didn't they? Mm. Flair's just abandoned commentary. Didn't go to the ring. But he's left the champagne with Eric and Bobby. And the highly waxed and polished fruit. More wax than is on those candles. Yeah, that's the shiniest apple I've ever seen in my life. Uh, well, that was quite the novel finish, though. Kudos, the way he strong-armed mm. Arn just deadlifted him into chokeslam from a troubled position. <laughs> he, he is disappearing, <laughs> but he's taking the candelabra, some fruit and a bottle of champagne with him. Get the good china as well. That's worth a lot. <laughs> He's putting a banana into his jacket pocket. <laughs> take Bischoff's <laughs> denim uh, vest as well. But don't take it oh, home. Just God. burn it. Burn it, yeah. Bischoff's midlife crisis denim. <laughs> well, no hints or anything about what is to come. Not that I don't even think they mentioned the two hour nitro, did they? Next week, they just said, Well, you know, more, more next week, basically. If they did, it must have been in the dichotomy of a match where we're still talking about the match and it completely sailed over us. We picked yeah. up on some of the mid match plugs, a lot of NBA plugging because that was following straight after yes. that episode. But no, if they did mention it, it escaped us and they didn't even officially say that that was a particularly. I don't know if it ran 90 minutes when you include the adverts this episode. Must but... have been. Yeah, it must have been. But, uh, yeah, no, I was, I was just wondering, because you know, we, we were talking about this before we came on there, that knowing what we know in hindsight that next week the entire landscape changes and Scott Hall turns up, I was just wondering if they were going to drop any kind of, not even a subtle hint, but just make some, like, throwaway comment that may, that means more when, once you know what 
what is coming, but but no, it wasn't. I suppose given the way the storyline worked, it's, it's much better to just completely drop the hammer out of the blue. And absolutely, hindsight yeah. shows, yeah, it was absolutely the right way. And in, totally. if, if everyone listens back to that Bash at the Beach '96 episode, we we go into detail about how the gritty realism of the whole thing just made it all better, including the big reveal at the end of the pay per view. Mm. So, um, just because I always like to do this, over on Raw, it wasn't much of a Raw, I don't think. We had Steve Austin against Mark Merrow, Savio Vega against the 123 Kid, and Davey Boy Smith v. Jake Roberts. So, you know, all right, all right stuff, but nothing nothing over-the-top special, I'd say. Oh, I'd always go for a bit of Austin Merrow. Those two are fantastic together. Yeah. Um, no, as I said, good, good stuff, but... but um, not a blowaway raw by any by any stretch, and then of course next week is a, a live raw that goes head to head with uh, with the big two hour nitro, the first one of them, and um, we've got giant giant as we've said, he's a fighting champion. He is defending that title against um, Shark John Tenter. So, uh, but obviously the match we're all looking forward to is Steve Dole against the Mauler. <laughs> Funnily enough, if my memory serves me correctly, and we'll find out when we cover that, but I've got a funny feeling that the Giant versus the Shark is another big storyline moment that pays off at Bash of the Beach 96. No. That will make more sense. If, if my memory has it right, that will make more sense when we cover it. And obviously we've got the the big end-of-year Q&A coming up. Finn Martin's joining us for that. Please, if you're listening to this within... 24 48 hours of us publishing it you've probably still got time the deadline is this thursday fire us over a question twitter facebook email any way you can we'd love to to get you involved in the show and we'll answer your questions on wcw but i'm presuming after after christmas first order of business will be the episode then yeah, absolutely. First step of the first two-hour Nitro, plus, uh, of course, we will have plenty more uh, pay-per-view reviews. Absolutely, and hopefully a few very special guests. Indeed, right. Well, we'll leave it there for this week, so thank you ever so much for listening. Please uh, do subscribe to us, uh, rate and review us, um, and we'll be back very shortly with our Christmas Q&A. So until then, this is me, the Twisted Genius, on behalf of Liam Happ, saying thanks for listening, and we'll see you ringside.